Well, I want to thank you for braving the elements and coming to worship today. I want to thank all of you who are joining us on live stream or television ministry. Through the miracle of technology, we have no excuse not to ever worship the Lord on a Sunday. Amen? I want you to take your Bible today and turn to Mark chapter 3. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the sin God won't forgive. He will not forgive it. Not in this life or the next life. Now in Mark chapter 2, last week, we discovered that Jesus has full kingdom authority. He has the right to say anything he wants to say and to do anything he wants to do. Now, last week, we found Jesus in a home. And that home was crowded with people so much that they had spilled outside the home. Why, you could barely squeeze into a square inch around that home or in that home. And four guys brought their paralyzed friend They wanted to get him to Jesus because they knew that Jesus was his only hope. Finding that there was no way they could get into the home, uh, they, they took a risky chance and they climbed up on the roof and they dug a hole in the roof and they lowered their friend down to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, seeing their faith, the Bible says said to the young man, sons, your sins are forgiven. Can I say this to you? There is no greater thing in the world than being able to lay your head down on a pillow at night and know that the God of heaven has forgiven every sin of your life, past, present, and future. There's nothing better than that. And then to prove that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins, he said to the young man, get up, roll up your pallet, and go home. And instantaneously, this guy got up and and rolled up his pallet and walked out of there with his sins totally, completely forgiven. Now, you would think that all of Capernaum would have been rejoicing and would have been in awe of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there were a group of scribes there, religious experts, who were absolutely enraged at Jesus. In in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we find that Jesus is back in the synagogue. And a man was there who had a withered hand. And and the scribes were there. Now, they weren't there to worship. They weren't there to learn anything from the teaching of Jesus. They were there to scrutinize everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did. Jesus called this man up who had a a withered hand in front of the whole synagogue. The scribes were sitting on the front row. That was reserved for the scribes. And the Bible says 
in verses 4 to 6 of Mark chapter 3, he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. Oh my goodness. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. He was miraculously healed. And verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Now, the very fact that Pharisees would conspire with Herodians is interesting in itself because they hated each other. But see, they had a common enemy, and their common en- enemy was the Messiah the Son of the living God, Jesus. And and so they came together, and they started hatching a plan that would be fulfilled later on, and that is killing Jesus. So Jesus shifted his ministry to the Sea of Galilee, and he taught them, and he, he healed many of them. He cast demons out of demon-possessed people. And here's a key verse that's very pertinent to what I want to say to you later on. It's Mark chapter 3, verse 11. The Bible says, Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. Next, Mark tells us that Jesus went up on a mountain and appointed 12 men to be his closest disciples. And he appointed them to do three things. So he could send them out to preach, so they could heal, and so they could have authority to cast out demons. Jesus took his authority, and he gave that same authority to his disciples. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum, the opposition and the accusations increased dramatically. I wish I could tell you that the whole world was fawning over Jesus, but they weren't. Even his own family showed up to take control of him because they considered him to be too fanatical. Look at Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And he came home, that's to Capernaum, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. I'm telling you what, wherever Jesus went, he was surrounded by people. They didn't have a chance to eat a meal together, he and his disciples. Verse 21, very interesting. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus, his brothers and his sisters, they all came to Capernaum. Because in their mind, Jesus had become too fanatical. He had taken it too far. He was in danger from the religious zealots of the day. And they really felt like they needed to reel him in some. 
in verses 31 to 35, we read about his mother and brothers coming. And yet, I want you to see this. Jesus would not for one second take his eyes off his mission. Jesus would not consider going home with his mother and his brothers and his sisters. Because Jesus had come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus had come to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And nothing, not even his family, would deter him from doing what God the Father had sent him to do. I wonder sometime if for many of us as disciples of Jesus today, the voices of our family are not are not more powerful and stronger and louder in our ears than the very voice of God. People were coming to Jesus from everywhere. He was healing. He was delivering people from demonic possession. Listen, Jesus was a rock star in the religious world of that day. But not everyone was thrilled. Look at verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Wow, I I tell you what, my skin crawls when I read what these religious elite from Jerusalem had to say about the Son of God, the Jewish Messiah. They were the A-team. They had come to confront this young leader who gave every evidence of being the Jewish Messiah himself. And these guys came to protect their turf. They didn't deny that Jesus could do miracles. It was obvious that Jesus could do miracles. Why? There was a whole group of people in the home there in Mark chapter 2 that saw a man who had never walked a day in his life get up and walk out of there. Jesus healed that man. And they could not deny it. And they wouldn't deny it. But what they would do is they would say this. Sure, he does miracles. But he does it by the power of Satan. Not the Spirit of God. They refused to accept the obvious fact that Jesus was the Son of God. Why, if that were true, then it would mean that God had invaded history and that their religion of rituals and works would be displaced by the fresh and powerful gospel that Jesus preached all over the land. This was a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. And he couldn't let this foolish accusation go unchecked. So he confronted them with the truth. Look at chapter 3, verses 23 to 27. 
The Bible says, and he called them to himself. These scribes, these religious experts. And he began speaking to them in parables. And Jesus asked them a question. How can Satan cast out Satan? That must have caught them off guard. I mean, they were used to people cowering down before them. They were used to people wilting in their presence. But this was no ordinary man they were dealing with. This was the son of the living God. This was the Messiah. This was God in the flesh. How can Satan cast out Satan? Oh, I wish I could have seen the look on their faces. And then Jesus offered two illustrations. He said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Can a divided kingdom survive? Oh, it may survive for a little while, but that kingdom is going to go the way of the other kingdoms in this world. By the way, this concerns me about our own nation. How can America survive with us being so divided against ourselves? This nation is in danger. We have shaken our fist in the face of God. And I believe that this nation is right now under the judgment of God. We need to pray. We need to seek the face of God. We need to cry out to God for spiritual awakening in our land and revival in the church. It's our only hope. God is our only hope. Our hope is not in a Republican. Our hope is not in a Democrat. Our only hope can be found in Jesus. And then Jesus used another illustration. He, he said... If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And he uses a, an illustration of a family. Listen, if a husband and a wife, a father and a mother are not on the same page, what does that say about the future of that family? What does it say about the future of those kids? Well, chaos is about to descend upon that family. And that chaos will end in that family imploding. By the way, let me say this. Jesus knew more about Satan and the kingdom of darkness than these religious experts could ever wish to. Jesus created Lucifer, and he created every demon, angel, that followed Lucifer in rebellion against God. They thought they had the upper hand, but this was child's play for Jesus. He was an expert in spiritual matters, and like a skilled lawyer, Jesus closed his case by pointing out an apparent truth. 
He said, look at it, verse 26, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. I tell you, the common sense and the wisdom of Jesus won the day that day. I, I would love to have been there to see these guys at Jesus absolutely demolish them with the truth. And to finish them off, he made another point in verse 27. Look at it. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Whoever defeats Satan is greater in power than Satan. That's what Jesus is saying. I, I praise God that I can stand before you on February the 14th, 2021, and report to you that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, plundered the strong man's house. He has defeated Satan and his posse of demons once and for all, and the outcome was never in doubt. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. John wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Verse 8, the one <clears throat> excuse me, who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now look at this, last statement. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that if you're a born-again believer and you're part of the kingdom of God, that you're on the winning side? Aren't, aren't you glad that Satan has been defanged? Aren't you glad that Jesus and his kingdom is superior to Satan and his kingdom of darkness? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 15, Paul wrote about the defeat of Satan. He said, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Hey, are you a believer today? Aren't you glad that all your sins are forgiven? I tell you, there's no greater news than that. To know that you're forgiven. Verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it where, church? The cross. When he had disarmed, when God had disarmed the rulers and authorities, that Satan and his demons, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has defeated the kingdom of darkness. Now, all that we've gone over so far is basically me giving you a context for what I want to preach now. But I tell you, it's important to get the context. 
In the next few verses, Jesus dropped two bombshells. And I'm telling you, they were bombshells. In verse 28, Jesus touched on the power of the gospel. So many times we focus too much on verse 29, and we overlook the wonder and the glory of verse 28. Verse 28, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Jesus forgave all the sins of the paralytic in chapter 2. Likewise, he offers the same forgiveness to people scattered throughout the world today. He will forgive abortion. He will forgive lying. He will forgive pornography. He will forgive stealing. He will forgive greed. He will forgive adultery. He will forgive pride. He will forgive suicide. That is a Catholic doctrine that you need to reject, saying that suicide is a mortal sin that can never be forgiven. I'll tell you, my friend, that's a life in the pit of hell. He will forgive suicide. He will forgive addictions. He will forgive murder. He will forgive those who blaspheme the very name of Jesus. Did you know that Paul blasphemed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, don't take my word for it. Let me give you Paul's own testimony to that. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, here's what Paul wrote. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, get putting me into service, even though I was formerly, listen, I was formerly a what? A blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was much more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. He blasphemed the Son of God. Yet he was forgiven. Totally forgiven enlisted into the kingdom of God as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, how can a holy, righteous God offer such amazing forgiveness to such low-life sinners as ourselves? Well, if we were to go to the end of this gospel, we could find out why. We could find out how God does that. Have you ever been reading a book, and you can't wait to get to the, the real meat of the book, and, and you go over to the end of the book, and you find out the outcome already? Have you ever done that? Well, we can do that with this gospel. In, in fact, we can go over to Mark 14, 15, and 16, and we can find out how in the world a holy, righteous God can forgive sinners such as us. You see, the last part of this gospel tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified on a cruel Roman cross, and He can forgive us 
because he offered his body and blood as a sacrifice for us, for our sins. God the Father was so satisfied with the sacrifice of his son that he raised him from the dead. Therefore, anyone, listen, anyone, underline the word anyone, anyone who repents of their sin and places their faith and trust in Jesus can be forgiven. They can be justified before God. They can receive the gift of eternal life. That's the gospel. And we see it so clearly in verse 28. It's the bombshell of the gospel. I'll tell you, it is wonderful. But then, Jesus dropped another bombshell. Look at verses 29 and 30. Jesus said, but... Now, any time you see the word but, it's a word of contrast, right? So first we see the, the, the bombshell of the gospel, and, and then this word but, and we know that something's coming, and it's different than what we just read. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying, the scribes were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Mark placed this truth in the context of these religious leaders who had accused Jesus of doing all these miracles by satanic power. This was their go-to answer for the ministry of Jesus. This was their explanation. People would come to them and say, how in the world can you explain this? Oh, he's doing that by demonic power. Jesus called this the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The word blasphemy means to slander. Jesus is saying here, they are slandering the Holy Spirit of God and his testimony of Jesus and his gospel. It's so serious that Jesus called this an eternal sin. By the way, you can find this same teaching of Jesus about this sin that God won't forgive. Some call it the unpardonable sin. You can find it in Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel. It's so important, it's in three gospels. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, here's what Jesus said. Here's what Matthew picked up that Jesus said, and it's so important. He said, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Therefore, Paul was forgiven, became an apostle. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Either in this life or the life to come. It, it will never be forgiven. When one commits this sin, all possibility of being forgiven is removed in this life and in the life to come. 
Now, you know what that tells me? That tells me that there are probably people walking around in Carville today who can never be forgiven, who will never experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their life because they have crossed God's deadline. I remind you that this sin that God won't forgive is not suicide. It's not some other horrible sin. It is not the sin of denying Jesus. So what is this this sin? What is this eternal sin? Let me give it to you in a very concise way. This eternal and unpardonable sin is the deliberate closing of the mind and heart to the Spirit's witness concerning Jesus. That's what it is. Listen to Stephen's word just before he was stoned to death. And he really captured this sin in a nutshell. In Acts 7, 51, Stephen said this, You men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, and look at this, and are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. You want to know what this sin that God won't forgive really is? It's resisting the Holy Spirit. It's insulting the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this about the Spirit's ministry. By by the way, let me say this. There's not a single person on this planet who can ever come to Jesus in saving faith except through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can convict a person of sin and show them who Jesus is and draw them to Jesus in saving faith. The Holy Spirit's the only one can do that. And correspondingly, Jesus is the only one who can bring someone into the presence of God the Father for all of eternity. You have to have the Holy Spirit to get to Jesus, and you have to have Jesus to get to God the Father. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit's ministry. In John 16, 8, he said, And he, the Spirit of God, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul wrote, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Now listen to this. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget, I was 20 years old, I was at Mississippi State University, I was in my dorm room, and I tell you, I had an encounter with the living Lord that night that was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life, and I'll tell you, my friend, the Holy Spirit of God convicted me of my sin. He stabbed me in the heart. And I was so convicted of sin, I fell on my knees at my bed, and I cried out to God, oh God, forgive me. And the Holy Spirit pointed out specific sins that I've been committing. And I just confessed every one of them to him that he named before me. That night, I did not resist the Holy Spirit. I respected the Holy Spirit. And I was gloriously saved. Listen, there is a point of resisting the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin... 
and his desire to draw a person to saving faith in Jesus that seals the person's heart for this life and for all of eternity. That person will never experience the Spirit's ministry ever again. Never again will he be convicted of sin. Never again will the Holy Spirit draw him to Jesus for saving faith. Never again. And the bad thing about it, the person who has crossed this deadline doesn't even know it. They don't even know it. I can't tell you who's crossed God's deadline, and neither can you. Only God knows who has committed this sin. Now listen to what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 29. He said, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Some of you watching the live stream, watching the television ministry, you've experienced those moments when the Holy Spirit of God has come upon you and he's convicted you of your sin. And he's drawn you in a loving way to put your faith and trust in Jesus. But time after time, You've insulted by the Holy Spirit. You've insulted the Holy Spirit by saying, not now. Or you've insulted the Holy Spirit by saying, I I don't believe that. I I believe there are many ways to God. I I don't believe I have to come through Jesus. You've insulted the Holy Spirit by saying that you do not believe in the Word of God. And my friend, your soul is in mortal danger Even this morning, you're playing with fire. Unfortunately, we have developed such a sentimental view of God that Jesus' words here in Mark chapter 3 seems to be rather outlandish even to us. And if the truth be known, if we were back there around the Sea of Galilee during the first century, we would have joined Jesus' family and and tried to reel Jesus in and to to get him to quit saying some of the stuff he was saying and doing some of the stuff he was doing because it was rather fanatical. The opposition was dangerous. I tell you, my friend, on the authority of God's Word, That as we get nearer to the second coming of Jesus, the opposition of the prince of the power of the air and his demonic allies 
will be ratcheted up like we've never experienced before. And I'll tell you, friend, that the opposition of this world system will try to crash in on our heads and cause us to compromise and become cowards. And I tell you, we can't do it. we got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He's won the victory. We need to live out of that victory. We don't have to fight for victory. We fight from victory. I want you to believe what I've shared today. I know it's a hard, heavy message, but I'll tell you it's the truth. My challenge to you today is a very simple. Respect the Holy Spirit's ministry. This goes for unbelievers, obviously. When the Holy Spirit stabs you with conviction of your sin, don't ignore it. When the Holy Spirit puts a desire in your heart to repent and to believe in Jesus, do not ignore it. Every time you ignore the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are insulting the Spirit of the living God, and your heart gets a little bit harder. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 3.15, Today, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Come to Jesus today. Hey, if you're watching live stream, if you're watching our television ministry, if you're in this building, in the fellowship hall, if you're not saved, listen to the Holy Spirit. Respect the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to experience this amazing forgiveness that only God can provide. But God can only provide you forgiveness if you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So I invite you today. Let this be the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You may not have tomorrow. Come to Christ today. But this... Respecting the Holy Spirit's ministry also goes for the believer too. Now, no believer is in danger of committing the unpardonable sin. No no believer can commit this sin. But what we are in danger of is something that Paul warned the church. He warned the church against quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We do that when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and we fail to confess it and forsake it and we become too comfortable with sin in our life or we choose to live in disobedience to the Spirit's direction in our lives. Now, this doesn't mean you'll be lost. This doesn't mean that you'll have your salvation card revoked. It doesn't mean that at all. But I tell you what it does mean. It means that your life will be a life of indifference and ineffectiveness. Listen, if you're a believer, respect the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life as a believer. But this also goes for your family and your friends. I would, I would 
guess that many of you watching today, many of you who are here, many of you who are watching today, you have friends or family, and, and you have seen them come very close to being saved, but they backed away time and time again. They may have even shed tears. But they resisted the Holy Spirit. And you shared the gospel with them. Other people have shared the gospel with them. And they get close. But they end up saying, no. Not to you. But to the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to invite you today as a believer to come to this altar. I want to invite you to, to, to kneel at this altar and to call out their name before the throne of God. It may be a dad. It may be a mom. It may be a son. It may be a daughter. It may be a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker. But you come to this altar and you cry out to God that your friend, your neighbor, your family member will not commit the eternal sin. out to God that the Spirit of God will plow up the fallow ground in their heart and expose good soil so that the seed of the gospel could fall in good soil and they could be saved respect if I had to, if I had to give a title a truth to capture this whole chapter. It would be this. Respect the Holy Spirit's ministry. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I am so grateful that Mark wrote this gospel. I am so grateful, Lord, that we as a body of Christ can gather Sunday after Sunday, even in inclement weather, and we can we can sing and we can pray and we can worship you and we can open the scripture and we can deal with these tremendous truths in the Bible and that you can use it in a powerful way in our lives and in the lives of those who surround us. Lord, I am praying today that every lost person, every unsaved person, every unforgiven person who hears my voice, I'm praying, Lord, that you'll give them another chance, that you will send the Holy Spirit this morning to stab them in the heart with conviction, to bring them to their knees in repentance and faith in Jesus. And I'm praying for believers, Lord, that we would respect the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives and that we would submit ourselves to his leadership, and that we would be permeated and saturated with the Holy Spirit's power and purpose. Lord, help us to respect the Holy Spirit's ministry. And Lord, remind us every day to pray for men, women, boys, and girls whose heart is getting harder and harder and they're coming closer and closer to that deadline that you set and I pray oh God 
that you would hear the prayers of your people as we call out their names before your throne this morning. Hear our prayer, O oh God. Arrest them and bring them to faith in Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we love you. Be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask Les and our team to come, our, our staff to come. And I want to invite you to worship, but I want to invite you to be very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life. And do exactly what he tells you to do. Respect him this morning. Let's stand and worship and you come as God leads you.